All right, all right, all right. Welcome to another edition of Shabbat Lounge. This is Matt and Jake here, and uh, been a minute. Feels like it's been a minute since we've been in the same room together doing this, but I don't know. Maybe life just moves fast. I don't know. It does that indeed. Yeah. Well, Jake, um, we do want we do want to thank people for for being here and uh, finding us. Right. And, there's plenty of things people could be spending their time on, and we thank you for tuning into what we're doing and checking out what we're working on yep and we just ask that you would give this a like uh, subscribe please share this with someone that might find it interesting or important to them and uh, we just uh, really appreciate it and we have something special today and we really want you not only to like us but also to uh, do the same thing for our guests today and so jake who do we have so this is john slife of the enduring word museum and uh uh, we're going to kind of have him introduce himself and what is the Enduring Word Museum. Hi, John. Hi. How are you tonight? Good, thanks. Well, we appreciate you uh, being with us. And, uh, yeah, if you if you would just take a minute and, you know, what is the Enduring Word Museum? <laughs> sure, sure. So, so the Enduring Word Museum is a collection of biblical artifacts that uh, span about 4,000 years, almost 5,000 years. Um, all the artifacts are the real thing. It starts with archaeology and then manuscripts, first translations, first printing, and then the Reformation Age. And the newest piece in the exhibit is a 1611, a first edition King James Bible. And we use all these pieces to show people that the Bible we have is true and it's accurate and we can trust it as God's word to us. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, a lot of it is uh, hands-on uh, stuff you can look and see and uh, maybe not touch if it's that, if it's that old. But, um, uh, yeah, stuff you can yeah. see with your Maybe not mind. the hands-on part, but definitely see. Yeah. <laughs> it's laminated. No. Uh so yeah, that sounds like a real interesting collection. Um, so uh, how did you kind of come across some of these items? Uh, so we're, we're always adding to the collection and uh, being in the museum business, you meet other people in the museum world and biblical artifacts world. And uh, you know, if there's something that I feel like would really make an impact in the story, not not just the ooh and ah part of the story, but really um, be a part of the story. Um, then we put the word out that that's what we're looking for. Um, sometimes people will contact us and say, hey, we have this or that. Would you be interested in this for the museum? Sometimes they're purchases. Sometimes they're donations. Um, sometimes we have to seek out supporters that will uh, purchase the, the artifact for us and either donate it to the exhibit or the, they'll purchase it and then loan it to the exhibit. So there's, there's different ways that things come in. Um, recently, we had the opportunity to acquire a first century crucifixion nail for the exhibit. And uh, that was something we'd been praying about and praying about. And we didn't know how that would ever come to be, but the father um, put us together with another museum that had several and, and they, and that curator there said, you know what, 
you need to have this in your exhibit. And he donated that to us. So we'd be able to demonstrate that it is one of the key parts. Crucifixion was done by nail. Wow. A lot of people doubt that was that really took place. Yeah, that's an awesome piece. That's that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Well, and uh, we encourage people to go check out your website, and it's uh, theenduringwordmuseum.com. Is that correct? Yes, uh, dot uh, org. Enduringword.org. Okay, so I have, yes. it, I have it pulled up here, so it's pretty easy to find. So enduringword.org. Uh, we encourage people to go check it out, and if they if they check it out and poke around a little bit, they're going to see uh, an image of an older gentleman, and they're going to see some uh, text about Rusty Mazel. Is that how did you say his name? Mazel, yes. Mazel, and uh, so he seems like he's pretty important, and like maybe maybe you wouldn't be here without some connection with him. Yeah, he he is a wonderful friend and uh, and mentor to me, and. Um, uh he started this exhibit about 30 some years ago and it really started as just a private collection just something that um in fact the very first piece he bought was a was an ethiopian um uh manuscript page of a middle ages uh psalms 23 and he bought that just thought it was beautiful and and just called out God's word, just this beautiful piece. And he had it framed in his office. And uh, he had a customer came to him one day and and uh, he was actually in the janitorial supplies business. Had a man come in his office, they're talking business. The man looks up and saw that page and he got up and he began to read it. And of all the, you know, uh, you know, that spider web of connectivity in our lives that God puts us together. This man had gone to seminary and one of the languages he learned was a paleo ethiopic and he was able to read that page and uh, affirm to Rusty how important it was. Rusty grew the exhibit out of that, just buying some personal pieces, personal pieces here and there. And uh, people said, well, you should show someone these things. You should take them out and show them. And so we did that a few times and a few more pieces and showed a few more. And long story short, um, God put it on his heart that this is what he was supposed to be doing full time. And so he resigned his paid position and went to work full time at no pay. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. That's uh, takes so, some faith there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a pretty interesting language. I don't think I've ever heard of. What did you say it was? A, it was a pictographic, but it's Ethiopian. It, it's Ethiopian. It's not pictographic. It's, it's, like it's letter characters, but it's a, a very old form, kind of like a Paleo Hebrew, but of oh, Ethiopic. Wow! Wow. Yeah. wow, that's amazing. You guys so, come see the exhibit sometime. You'll see that piece. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go see that and. So kind of, um, you know, how did you get connected with Rusty? I'd kind of like to hear how that came to be. Sure. So it's a bit of a testimony, and I'll, I'll try to condense it a little bit so we don't take up the whole night, but um, give you a little background. Uh, I was, I was uh, in the Air Force. I was a flight medic. I was a medic 
um, in the back of the aircraft taking care of patients. Thank you for And your I'd gone from active duty to reserves. And uh, I owned a construction company. And God had been calling me. My wife and I just built a house down north of San Diego. And, and uh, we built this big house. And it was right on the very highest peak of the mountain range that overlooked the ocean. And God told us it was time to sell that and move to Texas. And I said, oh, Lord, why would you tell me to build this house? And now I'm supposed to get rid of it. I don't understand. I must be understanding this incorrectly. And uh, I had the opportunity to to do some deployments. So I took that and I kind of did a Jonah. I ran the other way. And I went to Iraq and Afghanistan for a while. And uh, but God didn't lose track of me. And uh, I ended up getting hurt real bad on the second to the last mission I was on. And so I came home a bit broken. And uh, when I got home, I wasn't able to work. My construction company had gone broke while I was gone. And we were losing our cars and eventually we lost our house and everything. And I was, uh, I was uh, really unable to take care of myself very well. My wife had to help take care of me. And so he said, you know what? All right, God, here we go. We'll go to Texas. I don't understand why. So we packed up our last of our things and we moved to Texas. And my wife had moved here about six months before me. It's kind of a convoluted story, but I was still on orders in California and I couldn't move and surgeries and all this sort of thing. Anyways, my wife got us a house. I came out here. She'd already found her way into a church. I went to church with her and, and uh, the pastor took me aside and he says, I heard that you're stuck at home. And I said, yeah. And he says, you need to get out. You can't stay at home. I heard there's a Bible study on Wednesday mornings. Why don't you go to it? And he told me where it was. Okay. Now, I'd, I'd never been to this part of Texas before. Uh, I'd always gone to San Antonio. That's where the Air Force bases are. And uh, so I had to put it in my navigation to find this place. I had to put it in navigation to find my house, if you can imagine that. <laughs> and, uh, um, I went down there, and Rusty Maisel was teaching that. And at the end of the uh, Bible study, he stands up and he says, I'm building a, a uh, wooden printing press. And I would like, I need some help. Can someone come help me? But I can't afford to pay anyone. And I said, well, I'll come help you. But, uh, you know, as you can tell, I'm, I'm not much help. I'm, I'm really physically limited on what I can do. So I went out there. One little other piece of background. When I was growing up, uh, my dad told me the Bible was, was a good moral book, but it wasn't accurate anymore. It had been changed too many times. So when I meet Rusty, I had no idea about the museum, of course. And he says, he says, John, tell me about your, your faith. And I told him, you know, I said, well, I believe in Jesus and, you know, so forth. And we had this discussion went on to trust in the Bible. And I told him, I said, I thought it was a good moral book, but it wasn't accurate. And he says, wait here for a minute. And he goes out to his car and he brings in a Torah scroll. And he unwraps it and starts explaining to me the history of how the scrolls had come through time and so forth. And then he would go out to his van and he got another piece, and maybe some archaeological pieces and some different pieces. And 
I remember thinking, who is this guy that has these things in his van? It, it, yeah. This isn't possible, right? These things can't be real. Pile of papers here. And <laughs> yeah. And, and scrolls. Rusty was kind of a disorganized guy. So his van was kind of just a, a bit of a mess, like you say, or suggest. <laughs> so he's bringing these pieces in and, and he's helping to minister to me. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you one more piece of background. When I got home, um, I was very, very depressed. Uh, you know, uh, the PTSD, all these types of things going on. And I was in a very bad place. And, and Rusty didn't know this, of course. But as he ministered to me and he started to see inside of me, and I, of course, the Holy Spirit was guiding him. He was a very faithful man. It turned out that Rusty had uh, spent a couple of years in Vietnam and had gone through some very very tragic things. He was a medic in Vietnam, so we really connected on that level. And then he says, uh, hey, John, why don't you come travel with me? I'm going to take this museum up to Oklahoma. I said, okay, I got nothing else to do. I'll travel with you. And I traveled with him. And the next weekend, I traveled with him and the next one and the next one. And this went on for about a year and a half. And I'd had several surgeries and stuff by then. And uh, I was doing pretty good. And we were in Oklahoma again, and this little church, little country church, we'd been there for three days. And at the close of, of the exhibit, we'd all pack, packed everything up, and we're having pizza. And this older lady sitting at the table with us, she asked me what I do. And I said, well, I don't know what to do. You know, this is my background. I was at a construction company. I was a medic. Hopefully God will find something for me to do in these things. And but I send resumes out and, and I'm just not getting anything back. And I got to figure out what to do for work. And she puts her hand on my arm and she says, have you thought about your right? You're right where you're supposed to be. Hmm. And I thought, oh, my goodness. No, I had not thought about that. So we were driving home and I was praying about that. I said, what does that mean? What does that mean? I got home with my wife and I said, you know, it hit me, but I don't. You know, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, but I don't understand what that means. I, where am I? Because yeah, I don't even know where I'm at. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, if you can imagine, I got tears in my eyes. I'm thinking about this. You know, God, just the way he revealed himself was, was so beautiful. And and uh, it, it became very clear that he had brought me to Texas to work with Rusty to be a part of this ministry. Now, more background on me. I dropped out of school when I was barely 14 years old and uh, I had uh, got a GED so I could go in the military and I thought school's not for me. And okay, so God calls me to be in this ministry, but I don't know much about this. I've learned a lot from Rusty, but what is, what do I do? How do I do this? And uh, I got a call from a guy at the VA. And he says, have you thought about going to school? And I said, well, interestingly enough, I am thinking about it. He says, well, of course, the VA will pay you to go to school. He says, but there's also a stipend available. We'll pay an extra, uh, it was like $1,400 a month to go to school. Oh, that got my attention. <laughs> right, yeah. And so I thought, okay, I'll go to school and I'll uh, ho hopefully I can figure out how to do this. I didn't do well in school the first time. And uh, turned out I absolutely loved it. And I got my associates, my bachelor's, my master's, and I'm working on a PhD now. But wow. uh, uh, oh, I, I was going to tell you, 
so I, a, after this incident in, in Oklahoma, and it really became clear that this is what God had called us to be in Texas for, you know, Rusty's the first guy I met basically being here. And so I go to Rusty and I'm excited. And I said, Rusty, you're not going to believe this. This is exactly why God called me to be in Texas. This is why he brought us here is to be here and work with you in this ministry. And Rusty says, no, 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 no. I don't want to partner in ministry. This is my ministry. You go start your own. <laughs> wow. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> oh. And I said, well, I think I'm supposed to be your polycarp. And, and uh, so here I am. And uh, it was, it was kind of funny. He tried so hard to chase me away. He'd get mad at me and I'd leave. And I said, okay, see you tomorrow. <laughs> I come back the next day. Eventually, he loses temper with me, and I say, okay, see you tomorrow. <laughs> and I just kept coming back. About six months after that, Rusty had a heart attack and was in the hospital. And uh, I said, well, Rusty, give me the phone numbers, and I'll call, and I'll get the, the next venues canceled or at least rescheduled to when you're feeling better. And he says, no, no, I want you to go out. I want you to teach it. Just, just go. I said, oh, man, I'm not ready for that. And he says, you'll be fine. Just, just only just tell them what you know. And I said, okay. So I went out and I did it and I did it and I did it. And the amazing thing is, is that God never allowed Rusty to travel with me again. We tried twice and both times he ended up in the hospital. Mm. But God knew what he was doing when he was preparing me to move into the ministry to take Rusty's place. And Rusty had to learn to step back and be the organizer of it and, and the, the figurehead of it to, to help this go forward. And, uh, you know, we just lost Rusty last year. And I still find myself saying, oh, I can't wait to tell him. Oh, wait. All right. Because <laughs> yeah. we'd always give each other reports on, on when we were going out and meeting with people, you know. So Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's a that's an amazing story, right. an amazing testimony. You can one cannot help but see the hand of God working in in your life and His life and putting you together and um, even the whole Jonah story. And I hope that you've thought about writing writing this down, maybe publishing a book. Well, right now I have my <laughs> I would love to and. And, uh, but right now I have ahead of me that, that dissertation that's, uh, we have a second exhibit that I have not been traveling with. It's the, uh, tells the story, the history of Bibles carried by American soldiers. So we have Bibles that date back to 1659, the first Bible published in English for soldiers. And, uh, uh yeah, you've got some of them there. And, uh, when I was doing research for that, it turned out that uh, there was nothing written on that. I couldn't find any of the materials. And uh, so that has become the basis for my dissertation is the history of American soldiers' Bibles. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that definitely is a, a good topic. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the things you said in your testimony there, and even the uh, uh, the American Soldiers Bibles thing that you're doing is pretty timely. I mean, 
I think the a lot of people nowadays could stand to hear, um, you know, why uh, they could trust the Bible. And uh, you talking about uh, uh, Rusty pulling those scrolls out of his van and stuff. I mean, more people could uh, right. could benefit from knowing that and uh, seeing those things. And I just hope that uh, uh, people take advantage of the fact that uh, you guys are out there doing this stuff and, um, you know, making making these things I hope available. So. Yeah, yeah. That's an really amazing. Well, you, you answered part of it, but maybe you could elaborate just a little bit more of you know, everyone has a why, you know, why do we do the things we do? You know, why do we have a certain job or work the hours that we work? And, you know, so what is your why? What really drives you in this ministry? I think the single biggest thing is, is, as I said, I was taught as a kid, as you know, I, and I took it into adulthood. And unfortunately, I taught my children that the Bible we have today has been corrupted and that it, it wasn't trustworthy, that it was just a moral book. And when I learned the truth of that, I had to go back and my children are adults and say, hey, kids, I taught you wrong. Please hear me now. And thankfully they did. They, they heard me and, and all of them uh, uh, have, have come to the Lord and, and understand that the Bible is true and it's accurate. And we trust it as God's word to us. He speaks to us through its pages, right? Um, that is probably my single biggest motivation is talking to younger people, youth group age, uh, middle school and high schoolers, and helping to arm them as they go out into the world where the world comes against them and says, oh, that Bible's nonsense. Faith is nonsense. That's just stuff your parents taught you. It's not real. And um, I really like to, as best as I can, I try to give them some basic apologetics, some a basic foundation of these evidences are out here. And all it takes is looking. And I kind of go through some of these things. And I tell them, I say, you don't have to be in an encyclopedia of this knowledge, all you have to be able to say is, no, there's real evidence. Come with me. We'll, we'll look it up together. Right. right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think in a, in there a was world, a survey. Uh, in, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I, I was just going to say there was a survey in uh, 2012 by, uh, uh, oh, I always I, I always say Barnum and that isn't quite yeah, right. Yeah, uh, Frank right. Barna um, and Viola. Barna, that's it. Barna, yeah. yeah, by 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 Barna Group, and seventy eight percent of self professing so sorry I speak English self professing Christians believe there's errors in their Bibles, some significant, but they don't know where. And so I think that that really sheds a lot of light on, on where Christianity is today. Um, if you don't believe the Bible is true and it's accurate, why would you pick it up and read it? Mm. Right. They tend to rely on their pastors to read it to them or, or the youth group leader or the, you know, Sunday school teacher or whatever it is. 
because they know where those problems are and, and I don't know. So why, you know, I'll just rely on them to read it. And I, so I want to get out there and I want to show people the Bible they have is accurate. And I want to try to answer the questions that keep them from reading the Bible. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. the questions we get are, you know, who, who, who picked the books of the Bible or how do we know the manuscripts are real or, how do we know the translations were accurate? These types of things. So we want to step by step go through these things with people and try to put that to rest for them, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, those are important lessons for people to people to get. Well, and, and something you mentioned, and uh, John, I want to encourage you as well as the other people that uh, may hear this uh, to to start praying this prayer for our loved ones. And I I, I know Jake hears me say this at nauseum i'm sure and but uh, you know this we need to be praying for the children in our family and our loved ones that that they would love god's word more than man's word that they would love his ways more than the ways of man and and, and understand that that man men are liars and unfortunately through time uh, you know men men have lied a lot and continue to lie but god's word is true and endures forever and and it's more true than than you know than people with degrees behind their names with you know whether that's professors to doctors or their white coats yeah so and they've they've become in essence priests of, of the modern age and 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 they believe that more than they believe in in god's word and that we just need to be we need to be, keep that kind of thing in prayer, and um, especially as yeah, praying absolutely. parents and praying grandparents. You know, that's that's the hope for the for the next generation. You know, that they would they would really truly believe and know. You know, because we 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 just can't hardly know anything about the world. You know, the world, especially with AI and everything coming in, you, you just don't know what to believe. But we know God's word. We can believe that. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. that's a good point, and uh, you know, I would just uh, you know echo the how there really is only a single thread of truth right now, um, and it's it's the word, and because like you're saying, so much other thing. There's we we live in a a society and a time where there's more quote unquote knowledge than has ever been available to anyone before and yet there's i think people are more lost than they've ever been and i think that uh yes you know, that is a we, true statement if if we would just turn back to you know the baseline of truth i think we we'd find a lot of answers yeah yeah well, well when we, we were talking just before we started there you were talking about homeschool groups and things and interacting with a lot of homeschool groups with this exhibit the one thing i do notice is um, as a general statement the kids are are more spiritually prepared to face the world than kids that are going to public school all day and have exposure to god's word god the father the son on Sunday, on Sunday morning, right? Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily demonstrated in the house all day, even though they may be very faithful people, just life gets busy, right? 
Yeah. And the yeah. and the kids aren't necessarily prepared to make that that jump from living in the shadow of their parents' faith to becoming their own faith. So then mm -hmm. they go off to college and they're told that's nonsense. Oh, that's just silly stuff. That's just what your parents told you. And they're not prepared to answer that. Yeah. And they yeah, think, oh my a, gosh, uh, maybe like they're right. Maybe I maybe this isn't really me. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I am a big proponent of homeschool groups. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's an important point you make. Is you know, as a as a kid, you do, you don't realize that your your faith is shallow. You think you're doing what you need to do, especially um, you know you, you spend when you think about public schooling, you're more time away from your parents than with them, and you know someone else is raising your kids essentially. And they they're teaching yep. them whatever they want when the doors close, you know, and and a lot of times it's, you know, it can be good, but a lot of times it's not too, and um, you know, you, you once they like you were saying once they go off to college and hear something different, they've never been challenged before because they're kind of in their bubble, and uh, yeah, and then they find out how shallow what they thought they knew is because they haven't had the, the uh, pouring in that they needed to, to have a solid foundation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, we want to come back to the, the homeschool thought in just a minute. Um, so right now I'm showing some pictures uh, that are on your website of some demonstrations and, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the printing press and how it was revolutionary to the world and and uh, how it kind of uh, made something that was very, made the Bible that had been traditionally very expensive and made it um, mass produced in the hands of everybody. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. So uh, I, I had mentioned when we started this conversation that we have all these biblical artifacts that are authentic artifacts. The printing press that we're seeing here is the only reproduction that we have in the exhibit. And uh, it's, as you said, it's a reproduction of Johann Gutenberg's printing press. Now we do have a page from a Gutenberg Bible, an original page. And so the typeset that's in it, there's the page right there, actually. And um, the typeset that we have in the printing press is the typeset for that page. So we print copies of it. And um, the, the printing press, without giving a whole, whole lot of story on this, these are big topics, of course. Right. Um, at the time of Gutenberg in Europe, 99-plus um, percent of the population was illiterate, okay? And the only people that knew how to read and write were primarily the clergy or the royalty, right? Or very, very wealthy people. And the reason that was is because written materials were so expensive. So if you knew how to read and write, you would learn to read and write uh, and speak Latin or French. Those were the, the languages of the commerce uh, of, of uh, not only commerce, but uh, the legal system, the, uh, 
government, all of these things, right? And the church, of course. So when Gutenberg set up to do his, this, this idea of movable type, to that point, everything was manuscript. The scribes hand wrote everything. It was very, very expensive. It was very time consuming. And um, if you can imagine, the scribes not only knew how to read and write, but they knew how to write very well, very clearly. The better the scribe you were, the more money you would charge. Uh, if you were accurate, you developed a reputation of being accurate, all of these things. So I, I often tell people, think about a very high-priced lawyer today is kind of what the scribe was in that day. So if you were going to have this, this scribe make a, a copy of the Bible for you, the scribe is going to work 10 hours a day, six days a week, for three to three and a half years to make a single copy of the Bible. Man, right. That's crazy. Right? Yeah, I've heard that uh, but, just the Torah itself would be a whole year. If you wanted, like present yeah. day, if you wanted to go get a Torah scroll handwritten on like sheepskin or something like that, today it would take it a whole year to get one of those. It's a whole year, yes. Yeah, it's a very time-consuming, very time-consuming work. Accuracy, of course, is at a premium. Mm -hmm. So what Gutenberg saw was is this void. Um, I think he, he was an entrepreneur. I think he saw the opportunity to make a lot of money, right? Uh, he was a metalsmith and engraver by trade. And he had this idea of creating individual letters one at a time that you could arrange into the words, into the sentences, into the paragraphs, so forth for the page. It would take some time to get that page set, but once it was set, you print. A, on the printing press, me and Rusty, we used to be able to print about a page a minute when we were doing just a steady pace. That seems pretty fast. Right. So instead of eight hours of work to 10 hours of work for a page, you're doing a page every minute once it's set up. So for Gutenberg and his shop, they began to produce 50, 60 Bibles every three to four months. Now they had a team of, you know, say half a dozen people or something in the shop. But with that team, it may have been a few more, but with that team of people, you're able to produce these Bibles. It was just light speed to anything they would seen before. So it took time. Uh, what Gutenberg realized, he realized his worst fear. Once the public saw what he was doing with uh Oh, we may have lost you for a second. And they produced over 8 million books in the first We lost you for a second. You said, you said uh, 8 million books? In 50 years. Wow. 
So from 1450 to 1500. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And uh, that printing press looks like it takes quite a bit of force. You said a page a minute. You know, how much effort are you having to put out to do that? Are you like breaking a sweat? It puts about 2,000 pounds of pressure down on the paper. And it pushes the ink into the pores of the paper. So it's not just a stamp. It's actually a press, right? And so I have to lean onto it pretty hard. Yeah. I'm, I'm 200 and some pounds, so I got to lean back on it really hard to get that, that bar all the way around. So when the kids come up to print and things, I back them up. I can push as hard as I can, and then I back them up, and we get it printed. But, you're, yes, about 2,000 pounds of pressure is what it creates on that, and it presses the ink into the paper. We use a modern copy paper. The paper that they had at the time of Gutenberg was really kind of a coarse paper. And they had to moisten it so it would take the ink and print properly. Hmm. That, that's the difference between printing press and, and stamping, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, uh, you mentioned this is, the mo it's modeled after the Gutenberg press and... It's the only item in the museum that's a recreation. And so, and you were in construction, right? So is this, did you build this? And is this built by hand? It's a pretty impressive uh, piece, of, piece of craftsmanship. The, the printing press that's in most of these pictures, that one there is one of this picture coming up here that has Rusty. That's one that the initial press that he built. And it's, it's kind of funny, when Rusty was doing his dissertation work on Gutenberg, he just didn't he just didn't think that press that was in Germany and Mainz, Germany was was accurate. That had to be a later iteration of what Gutenberg would have had. So he was trying to figure out what did Gutenberg start with. And he believed it was a 15th century, maybe 14th century a uh, wine press. And mm. so he modeled his printing press on that on that wine press and he built one just just for giggles just to see how it worked, what it what it was like. And uh, a museum up in Illinois saw it and said, "Wow, that's amazing. Can we buy it?" And they bought it. And another museum saw it and said, "Hey, will you build us one? Will you build us one?" And now we've built over 20 of these, and they're in museums all over the world. And uh, the Museum Bible in D.C., those are our presses. The other, we built one for the Vatican Library in uh, Rome. Uh, we built one that's at a uh, museum in Singapore. And then, of course, uh, Houston, here near us, uh, Glen Rose, Texas. Uh, at the Creation Evidence Museum. We built one for Dr. Carl Baugh down there. Oh, yeah? Well, interestingly enough, yeah. you know, recently uh, Jake and I talked to John Adolfi, who has a museum on the East Coast about creation evidence. And then uh, I also knew um, 
the guy that was in Lubbock, uh, Joe Taylor, or at Crosbington at uh, Mount Blanco Museum, and um, uh, he, you know, those guys were those are all kind of similar. Those are definitely that's a good circle of people to to be connected with, and you know, especially the guys doing the creation. Sure. This this is a good fit in in a space like that for sure. Yeah. No, that's uh, and one of the that's... interesting things about the printing press that that Dr. Ball was seeing was um, that it would allow him to bring public schools in to see the printing press, and uh, that's something that helps us when public schools, especially through the South and up through the Midwest, um, are teaching on Gutenberg, usually about fifth or sixth grade. When they see the opportunity to have a printing press and an original page from Gutenberg there, they'll invite us in. And we get into to public schools um, here in Texas, just, just down the road. Uh, there's a public school here that's uh, the principal and the superintendent came and saw the exhibit. I went through the presentation with them and I showed them. I said, look, you know, when I'm talking to a public school, it doesn't, I'm not, I'm not teaching the, the history of Christianity. I'm teaching the history of written communication. And I teach on Gutenberg specifically. And I gave them my teaching note and everything. And, and they said, wow, will you come set up at a public high school and, and teach the kids about Gutenberg and written communication? And so uh, it's a wonderful tool that, that uh, the Lord gave us to, to be able to get into places. Yeah. And I, of course, I respect their boundaries. I'm never going to embarrass anyone. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Especially you, you come into their house. There, there are rules. Rules you have to follow in that house for sure. That's um, right. Well, but that, it's kind of neat great... when the, one of the kids will go, "Hey, what's that big school over there?" Or, or "What's the?" Big... And I can answer them. I can tell them what yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm sure uh, the fact that uh, uh, so wasn't the Bible one of the main things they would print back then? It was probably yes, one of the absolutely. The, like, um, I, so historically, it makes sense to you to discuss that. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I started to mention earlier the. Uh, um, the uh, Geneva Bible familiar with mm -hmm. um, the Bible the cost had come down about that 120 years from the invention of movable type to where parents could afford to buy a Bible for their children as they kind of came of age it was still very expensive it was about a year's wages so oftentimes when I'm talking with with like middle school high schoolers I say, you know think about this your parents Maybe your parents are walking to work or, or riding a bike to work, and they've been saving and saving to buy a car. But they decided instead of buying a car, they're going to buy a Bible for your home so you can learn to read and write. That's the sacrifice these parents were making, right? It was a year's wages. But if you had a Bible in your home, that means you could learn to read and write, as well as having to work and understanding God's in your home. It was always a, a, a dual benefit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's some difficult uh, 
difficult reading in, in the Bible. So, I mean, if you can pick that up and learn to read from that, which I think is a good direction to go, is learn to read from reading your Bible, I think is uh, uh, that really sets you up, I think, for some success. Here in America, there was no textbooks to learn to read and write until the 1830s. Every child learned to read and write from the Bible. Yeah, and I think that was uh, mainstay at the schoolhouse was was the Bible. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was in public education for 19 years of my life as a school teacher, and I taught with a guy one time, and I can't remember. I think he was teaching metaphors and similes, and he got permission from the principal to— um, and he used the Bible, and he taught the the parables that uh, Jesus taught um, in the Bible. He taught them, uh, you know. I always thought that was a really cool way to do that. But that's how they—that's how everybody used to learn, right? Sure. Yeah. But um, so there are people. That, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. Um, uh, Barton, David Barton with Wall Builders. Oh, yeah. Um, his programs on American history are really, really incredible on teaching the foundation of the Bible to the foundation of America, I guess is what I wanted to say. Wall yeah, Builders. Okay. He definitely has some really good uh, information. He's got a really good uh, museum and, and uh, of all that founding documents and stuff like that and how it all relates and ties into you know the yeah. faith of the founders and things like that he does he does some really good presentations and built as well <laughs> hmm. yeah that's neat well uh, there's going to be some people out listening to this and uh, we hope we've introduced our audience to, to some, a new resource and uh, the great news about this is uh, you travel and you will come about anywhere in the world, uh, from what I understand. And so, so somebody's listening out there. They've got a homeschool group. They've got a church, a Bible fellowship, uh, some kind of you know Torah observant fellowship or synagogue, church, school, whatever it is, club. Um, what do they do? How and, and and what do you what do you offer? How would they get you to come out? Yeah, all we need is an invitation. Um, invitation. We excuse me. We schedule uh, our journeys kind of uh, with multiple. Steps. We're always looking ahead a year to a year and a half in advance. You know, some goals been. In Iowa, I'll pin in my, in my map, and then I start finding other locations that get us along the way going there and getting back. And uh, we don't have to bring the exhibit out. We, we operate just on donations. Um, I didn't mention this before. I am I'm ended up being medically retired from the Air Force, and, and uh, so I ended up in a, in a place like right where I don't get paid this. Um, all the money that's donated to us just keeps us putting fuel in the tank and tires on the truck. 
And so when we go out, we always try to get the best bang for the buck that when we're going out. Uh, people can reach us through the website, uh, theenduringword.org, uh, Facebook, uh, The Enduring Word Museum. Um, yeah, call me it, any, any way they like. They can reach out to me and we can discuss getting there. I think it's also important. Uh, we'll go to just about anywhere we're invited. And when we go out, a little comfort to some folks, we don't get into doctrine and we don't get into theology. Our, our mission, our calling is to teach the Bible, the truth about the Bible, and encourage people to read it for themselves. Um, I think when I was talking with Matt earlier, you know, um, it's life changing when you can sit down and read the Bible from beginning to end and you start seeing the truth of what's in there. Right. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. There's no middleman needed. That's right. That's right. Well, we encourage uh, our, our, our audience, if you, especially if you've got a homeschool group, uh, you know, uh, get these, uh, get, get John involved. And it's great that you would even come to a public school, you know, uh, from, uh, having taught as long as I did, I'm very familiar with the standards that the state of Texas puts out. And, uh, it would be very easy to fit this into your curriculum. And by law, it's uh, very legal to do because it, it fits into history. It fits into, um, in communication. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of things that would fit right directly into a school curriculum without being weird or causing a problem. And, um, yeah. we, we encourage you to reach out to him and I'm sure he could help explain it. If, if, if anybody did have questions and he can, sounds like you could cut kind of custom tailor a program according to, you know, to fit, uh, fit if there were certain rules, uh, like that. And, um, we encourage you to not only check out his website, but uh, if you feel so moved and uh, want to donate to the cause, I'm sure if you wanted him to come out, you you know he would uh, would need a, a donation to kind of get the wheels going on that. And especially if he's traveling cross country, it sounds like you probably have to have a that thing looks heavy. <laughs> looks like uh, it's, it takes a great deal of effort to load it up and put it in a trailer and take it down the road. It's it's a I have two big rolling carts and a toy hauler trailer, and uh, they're about a thousand pounds a piece each cart that carries all of this. But, and, and just to clarify, we don't need the donation to come out and visit. Okay, you know, great. Our, our thought on that is, is God provides for us in ways that we can never imagine. And we don't want to ever say no if there's some small organization that really wants us to come out. We don't want to have a dollar amount attached to it to be able to come visit. And then those that can bless us, we hope that they'll they'll do that and bless us. And, and it's been that way. Um, we've never charged a fee for this. And here we are 30 some years later. And and uh, God just keeps paving the way for us to to grow a little bit more and go a little bit further. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's that's fantastic. Um, uh, Jake, do you have anything? Yeah. So real quick, uh, just on the. Um, the visiting the museum situation so yeah. you have a a travel museum situation do you also have like a home base uh museum situation where people can just come and if they're no in the we area? do not 
We don't know. Okay. We do not. We're always traveling. Yes. Okay. But we travel locally enough. Most of our stops are on our website and, okay. and we're, it's a little bit behind right now because we've been working on a map that shows uh, drop pins at all the locations that are coming up and we're transitioning to that. So hopefully that'll be up in the next week or so when people can see ahead of time where we're going, but uh, kind of meet you there. Yeah. So those, you know, those of us that are in North Texas, when I just had a couple things here uh, around Weatherford areas where we're out of and uh, just had several locations around here that we could have had you at to come see. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I will uh, add some images here as well from your Instagram and probably off your Facebook. I'm looking at that and I'll pop that, that in this presentation. So, and then uh, there is a contact form and that's actually how you and I got together. I just filled this out and uh, here we are. Yeah. And uh, so that's, that's a great place. I can testify that, that this does work and you <laughs> can works. get John. And uh, what we, uh, Jake, what else were you going to say? Oh, that was, that was about it. I mean, uh, uh, there's so much uh, information in there. And it, I think. If I could mention one more thing. Yeah, go sure. ahead. Um, on our, on our Facebook, um, I'm not a big fan of Facebook. I'm not a big fan of social media, but that is kind of the world we live in. Yeah. So um, what I try to do is every week, give or take a little bit, I try to put a, a something significant that's happening in the um, biblical archaeological world, right? So this last uh, this week, I put a short writing on Papyrus sixty five um, that uh, is one of the early manuscripts of the New Testament. Um, so different things that that affirm our faith, I try to put on there. So. I'd encourage people to to follow us on Facebook and and uh, see some positive things on there, right? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely plenty of negative and plenty of things that are a terrible waste of your time. But uh, <laughs> uh, God's word is definitely not a waste of your time, right? And I think uh, you know if this is if this is where the people are, that's where you have to go with the word. I mean, uh, yes. Uh, you take you take the the light into the darkness. You don't don't shy away from it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and um, I just keep coming back the whole time you're talking. I just keep thinking about um, w w you know we uh, in Psalms we need to be what it what, you know as it says. So the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, and um, we need to hunger and thirst. For, for God's righteousness and His Word. And and we just ask if you're listening out there, bottom line is, read your Bible. You know, in fact, probably stop, turn us all off, and but you probably should go read your Bible. You know, that's that's more important than anything else anybody's got to say. So, yes, yes. Uh, we, we, and I heard you say that, and I appreciate that, and we want to encourage people to, to do that. And, um, and so... We, we certainly appreciate you coming, um, being able to talk to us this evening, and we, we're going to kind of wrap it up here and uh, let you let you go. And uh, we, we do want to encourage people to to look at having you out, to donate to the ministry, to, to look at your website, and, um, and um, anything else you'd like to say, John? I'll just say that, that it's been a pleasure talking with you both. 
And uh, thank you for having me on here. And if you ever want to have me back, well, there is no shortage of materials that we can talk about, right? <laughs> yeah, true. no, no. <laughs> and if you'll if you'll stay uh, on the line with us just for a second, we want to finish uh, our recording and um, just stay with us for a second, and um, and then we'll talk about a few things. And uh, but uh, we appreciate everyone being here. And this is Matt and Jake signing out. 